Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I pray you speak this morning. We welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're wrapping up a series uh, called Remember. We started this series by looking at the story of Joshua. When we looked at Joshua, we looked at how Joshua found himself in kind of an in-between season of life, in between the miracles that God had done and the miracles he needed God to do. When he crossed the Jordan River, it was a miracle of God to cross the Jordan River on dry ground. But right in his path were armies of resistance. So he had many more needs right in his future. And how did God direct him in that in-between season? He said, send 12 men back into that dried out riverbed, have them grab stones and set up a memorial to never forget my faithfulness and what I've just done. That's so uh, crucial because I believe, uh, as I've said for a couple of weeks, I think that's where most of us are in life. We've seen the miracles of God in our past, but we have armies of resistance in our future. What do we do in this season of life? And I think God is saying, remember his faithfulness in the past, and we can recognize he'll be faithful in the future. <laughs> Last week, uh, continuing that series on remember, we talked about the Passover. We talked about how the Passover, in that God called the people to remember it annually, to remember what he was about to do, and he commanded them to do that before he even did it. And it's so amazing because the people responded by bowing down and worshiping God, not based on what he had done yet, but just based on the promise of what he was going to do. And then when Jesus uh, broke bread at the Passover meal, he said, uh, now it's not about remembering what God has done in the past. It's not about remembering his past salvation. It's about remembering his present and ongoing salvation by the blood of the lamb. And this morning is our final week in the series, uh, and it serves as a perfect transition into the series we're starting next week, which is You Asked For It. Uh, the reason I say that is because as we make our way towards another moment in Scripture where Jesus commanded the people to remember something, this time he did it in the context of repentance. And it just so happens that when, when we passed around those You Asked For It cards and we said, hey, what uh, would you like to hear more about? or what has impacted your life that you want others to hear more about, uh, somebody among you wrote true repentance. So we're talking about remembering in the context of repentance. It's just uh, it's, it's funny how God works that way, but we're talking about true repentance. Now, you don't hear a lot of messages anymore on the subject of repentance, and that's because pastors want to be encouraging. They want you to come back, so sometimes they steer uh, clear of hard subjects of, of topics like repentance, but I don't think it has to be one or the other because I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to come back, but the truth is we can't understand the fullness of the gospel message if we're leaving out the topic of repentance, if we're leaving out the topic of the need for and our call to be a repentant people, then we're missing a large portion of the gospel. Now, repentance over the years has become kind of an intimidating word, but we're just going to take it back to its roots. And I want to show you that it's really not. Repentance at its core simply means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. If you go back into the original language, this is basically repentance is you change your mind. You turn your mind, you, you have a 180. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Now, in our culture, where 
inclusion and tolerance have been elevated to a point of insanity, this definition by itself presents a problem. The problem it presents is it implies the need to change. If we need to change our minds and, our, and change our direction, then it implies that we need to change something about ourselves. And if you tell someone today that there's a need for them to change, then you're going to be labeled as intolerant and not inclusive of who they are. A few years ago, uh, JR was just a baby, so this would have been uh, six or seven years ago. Uh, we were on a, a flight, we were on an airplane, and I don't know about you, I am not a talker on airplanes. I am a leave me alone and let me sleep kind of flyer. But the guy next to us was a talker. So he kept trying to bring up conversation and, you know, I, I didn't really want to talk. And then finally he says, so what do you do? So I looked at him and I said, leave me alone. That's what I said in my head. But what came out was I'm a Christian pastor. So <laughs> he said, oh, cool. I'm a Buddhist. He said, um, I don't know anything about Christianity. Would you tell me about it? Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered whether you should share the gospel with someone, whether you've ever had a tug of war of should I share it or should I not? I'm going to answer that question. The answer is always yes. The Bible says the gospel is the power unto salvation. If you're ever wondering, should I share the gospel with them? The answer is yes. Amen. And for me, that whole argument is just out the window. When somebody comes to you and they says, hey, will you share the gospel with me? Then you better share the gospel with them. <laughs> Uh, so I, I did. I did to the best of my ability. I, I kind of shared, you know, how in the garden, mankind willingly chose to sin against God, to disobey God. And in that moment, they broke the perfect relationship that they had had with God to that point. And from that point, mankind tried to, to be right before God, but it was impossible because we have a sin nature. I said, so God, because of his great love for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live among us, to live a, a perfect, sin-free life, only to be crucified on the cross. But three days later, uh, he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And now when we believe on him, when we place our faith in him, we are saved and we get to spend eternity with him when we die. But until that day, we seek to follow him, we seek to love him, and we seek to love others uh, like he has loved us. And the guy looks at me and he says, okay, that's cool. It's kind of like Buddhism. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one down. <laughs> so... He says it's kind of like Buddhism. He says, in Buddhism, you live a good life. You try to outweigh your bad deeds with your good deeds, uh, and, and you just try to be good. So they're kind of similar, right? And I said, no. I said, Jesus said he is the... I did not rig this, okay? 
So Jesus said he is the only way, that faith in him is the only way. And I'm telling you, in an instant, the atmosphere of that conversation changed. It was not a pleasant conversation. He became angry. He became offended, and, and he raised his voice, and he said, so you're telling me that the Christian faith is wrong, or is right, and my faith is wrong. You're telling me that the Christian faith is right, and every other faith in the world is wrong. And I, I said, they're not my words. I said, Jesus said that he is the only way. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ. And this guy looks at me, and he says, uh, you know, I can get on board with everything you've said up to this point about love and all of these things, but at this point, I, I cannot be on board with what you are saying. When you tell me that Jesus is the only way, we're splitting apart at that moment. And I'm going to translate that for you. What he's saying is, it's not inclusive enough. You're not being inclusive to my faith. Now, here's what I would say to that church. Christianity is the most inclusive religion on the face of the earth, and I can prove it to you. And I'm going to do it right now because 2 Peter 3.9 says this. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. And then he says this. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There is no more inclusive word than everyone. So here's the fact. Everyone is invited to this table. Not everyone is, accept, is willing to accept the terms of the invitation. But it is inclusive. You are all invited to repent before Jesus Christ. The invitation is for all to come to Christ. But to start from this place where we say, I need to have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction in my life. You cannot get around the fact that the, that the preeminent teaching of the prophets was repent. That the preeminent teaching of John the Baptist to prepare the way to, of Jesus Christ was repent. That the first message we have recorded by Jesus Christ was repent. The Bible says the moment that Jesus came out of the garden when he was tempted by Satan. In Mark chapter 1 verse 15, it says, uh, Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now, I love the simplicity of this statement. Repent and have a change of mind. What does that look like in this context to change your mind and to simply believe on the good news? That, that's what repentance is in this moment where you change your mind and you place your faith upon Jesus Christ to be, uh, believe in or have faith literally in the good news or the gospel. So repentance at its core, is not an intimidating word. At its core, it's actually really simplistic, and it's actually something that we should be doing every day throughout our day. Because what it means is we are constantly changing our minds and refocusing our minds, redeeming every part of our minds and our lives, and placing our focus on the person and the mission of Jesus Christ. And you say, Pastor, well, what about our actions? You're just talking about our mind. What about our actions? John the Baptist covered that. He said uh, that we should produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And Paul covers that too in Acts chapter 26 and verse 20. He says, I preached that they should repent and turn to God 
and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. He said there's three parts of this. You repent, that change takes place in your mind. And when you turn, you turn to God and then you demonstrate your repentance through your needs. This is why I say that repentance is a change of mind that always leads to a change of direction. When we repent and change our mind as to believe and place our faith on the saving work of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible tells us in Acts 3 what happens when we repent in both the spiritual and in the physical realm. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it kind of follows the same pattern. It says, uh, go ahead and put that up, Greg. It says, repent, and then it says, turn to God, and then this is what happens in the spiritual realm, so that your sins are wiped out. When you place your faith on Jesus Christ, when you turn to God in a moment, your sins are as far from the east as from the west. That's in the spiritual. In the physical, what's supposed to happen uh, by repentance is times of refreshing come. What that means, if you, if you realize the results of your repentance then you're not having to beat your chest anymore after you have turned to God. You recognize your sins have been wiped away so that times of refreshing can come. Now what I want to look at this morning together is an example of not just a single person, but an entire group of people in Scripture who come to repentance together and what that looked like. That group is a group of people from Ephesus or the Ephesian people. Ephesus is a uh, fascinating place. Uh, it was a port city, uh, and it was an extremely wealthy city. Uh, there were lots of businesses there. There was lots of commerce there, and there was a lot of idolatry there. There, there was lots of idol worship, witchcraft, sorcery, all sorts of things. And uh, one of those gods that they worshipped was uh, a goddess that they called Artemis in Acts chapter 19 talks about a man named Demetrius. And it says that Demetrius made a lot of money off of this goddess named Artemis. Uh, he, he made shrines and he sold them. And in fact, a lot of people did. So what happens is Paul arrives in Ephesus and he's performing all of these miracles and people are repenting and turning to Christianity. So Demetrius goes to, to his friends who are not making as much money now. And he has a conversation in Acts 19.25. We'll read this together. Demetrius said, uh, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, uh, Paul tra Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed 
were uh, rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. So you can kind of see the atmosphere of Ephesus. But there's something specific that I wanted to show you here. I highlighted it in those passages because it talks about two places. Uh, Ephesus is so interesting to me. Because Ephesus, as I mentioned, was a port city. It was a city where all the ships could come in. And you know, there was shipping and importing and exporting. But what happened was uh, the, the silt from, from the ocean began building up on their shorelines. And Ephesus, because there was so much silt building up, actually moved further and further away from the shore. So in scripture, it was a port city. Today, Ephesus is actually five miles away from the shoreline because so much silt has built up. And what happened was they couldn't be a port city anymore because they were too far away. Now, it almost sounds kind of sad, but it's actually, it's good news for this reason because when archeologists wanted to excavate this city, there's nobody living there anymore. So they don't have to just worry about disturbing anyone. They can just have free reign at excavating the entire city of, of Ephesus. And in this passage, it talks about two locations specifically that have been excavated. And I just wanted to show you this to, to add uh, some color to it. In verse 27, it talks about the temple of the great goddess, uh, goddess Artemis. And not only has this been found, it's actually considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And that's a picture of uh, what's left of the temple there. And then verse 29 says that they were rushed into the theater uh, and, and there were crowds of people there and Paul wanted to appear, but they wouldn't let him. And they found this theater. This is a picture of it. It's actually a 25,000 seat theater. Uh, go ahead to the next picture and you can just see uh, how massive this was. And Paul wanted to go out and share the gospel and the disciples actually stopped him because they said, you go out there, you're going to get killed. So that just adds a little bit of... Uh, um, imagery to it, but that's not what I want to focus on this morning. The Bible says when Paul arrived in Ephesus, the power on his life was incredible. It says that God did miracles through Paul and, and that even handkerchiefs or aprons that were removed from his body, if they touched the sick, their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. And when the people of this evil city, Ephesus, saw all, all of these incredible miracles, uh, they saw the power in the name of Jesus. So you, some of you know the story. So they went up to the demon possessed and they just began throwing out the name of Jesus because they knew that the demons would respond to the name of Jesus. And uh, you know, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the story it says that they went to one man and they said, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of this man. And the demon responds and says, I know Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And it says that this one man under, under the influence of an e evil spirit uh, beat up them all and sent them away bleeding and naked. Um, and when this happened, the Bible says that uh, this fear went out among all the Ephesians for the person of Jesus Christ and this honor. Uh, and that's where I want to pick up in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 17. When this incident, incident became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma is a single day's wages. That means they burned 50,000 days wages 
uh, worth of scrolls. Uh, if you make $100 a day, if I'm decent at math, I think it was, uh, I don't remember now, I think it was like $5 million. I'm pretty confident in that, but don't correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so it says after that, in this way, the, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What I want you to see is the image of repentance that takes place in this story. It says they believed, they confessed their sins openly. There was no shame in confessing their own sins. And then those who had practiced sorcery took their scrolls, these, these evil scrolls, and they burned them. And I love that because if you remember Jesus in Matthew 5, he said, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. In other words, if there is something in your life that is dragging you back into sin, Get it out of your life. And we see that in this moment. They are eliminating the temptation to ever go back into sorcery. It's not going to be an option anymore. They're saying, I am getting rid of this temptation for the rest of my life. And you might be here this morning and you might need to throw some things in the fire. Maybe you've repented of sin, but you've left the door open to return to that sin. When you repent of sin in your life, church, close the door on it. Don't give yourself the availability to return to it. And that might mean getting rid of the internet. It might mean getting rid of social media. I don't know what it means for you, but cut it off. That is the, the biblical model of repentance. And what we find is God blessed these people, this newly formed church, and they became a hardworking church. Uh, they had a reputation for their good deeds and in fact, some 60 years later, uh, when John is writing the book of Revelation, Jesus says to John, I want you to write a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he commends them for their hard work. Beginning in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, I want to look at that letter together. together. It says, to the angel, uh, in other words, there would be the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write. And this is Jesus talking to John. It says, these are the words of him who holds the, the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. These are all good things. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevere, persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. All of these are really good things. He is commending them here. And then we get to verse 4 and he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And then he says, Remember, remember therefore from where you have fallen, Repent and do the things you did at first. The series title is Remember. It took us a little while to get there. But what we find is that command once again. And he's saying, remember the love that you had for me in the beginning. Remember the passion that you had for me in the beginning that, that, that drove you to just throw away $5 million worth of scrolls. To forsake everything that was part of your life in that moment to follow Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to repent. 
to change your mind and to change your direction and return to the love that you once had for me. And church, it is so easy for us to fall into this pattern this week where maybe you come here and maybe you tithe every single week and I am so thankful if you do. Maybe you serve here in various ministries and I am so thankful if you do. Maybe you do a lot for the kingdom of God, but what I want us to do is examine the roots of all of that. Because all of these good things cannot replace loving God, having genuine affection for God. If Emily said to me, having fun back there. <laughs> if Emily said to me, do you love me? And I said, well, I did the dishwasher last night. That's probably not going to cut it. And I could say, well, I've done a lot of good for you. And she would say, well, do you love me? Was what I'm asking. And what we find with Ephesus is they were doing so many good things for God. And he said, but you've left that love that you once had for me. And I, I think about the book of Matthew where, where the guy came to Jesus and he said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And I just wonder, do we truly treat this in our lives like the most important commandment? I wonder, do we treat that like a commandment at all? Th this is actually... In his heart, the most important thing that you can do is fall in love with God. You can go out on the mission field for the rest of your life if it's not on the, the foundation of love. You've, you've missed it. You know, the, Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, he says to them, if you have faith... To say to this mountain, move from here to there, but have not love, you have nothing. And he says, if you sell all of your possessions and you give it all to the poor, but it's not based on the foundation of love, you've completely missed it. What's so interesting about that is if you go back to the Gospels, Jesus told the disciples, have faith. Say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved. Remember, uh, he talked to, to the other, the rich young ruler, and he said, sell all of your possessions. Give to the poor and follow me. So what we find is Paul is taking the teachings of Jesus Christ and he's actually saying, you can follow the very teachings of Jesus Christ, but if you leave this one out about love, you've missed them all. The greatest command, church, is that you pursue loving God with every fiber of your being. And church, love has to be cultivated. Um, as Emily and I, as we get busier and busier and busier, what we're finding is we have to be way more intentional about cultivating love. We have to be way more purposeful if we don't want to go through the motions and if we want to continue to grow in love with one another, are we cultivating our relationship with God purposefully and intentionally? Renee, if you could come. How do you cultivate love for God? You know, if I, if I speak to you this morning and I say, church, love me more. And then I close my eyes for five seconds and I say, Okay, do you love me more now? The answer is no. 
Because love doesn't work that way. Love, to grow in love, has to be cultivated. How do we do that in our relationship with God? And what I'm going to suggest is you give him more of what is the most valuable thing in your life, and that is your time. We have to carve out time for our relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that time, I would encourage you to do three things. Spend time in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer. And spend time in worship. Church, if Sunday mornings from 1030 to 11 is the only worshiping you do throughout your week, you're missing something in your life. We should be constantly worshiping God and constantly praying to God. Prayer is not hard, church. I've said this many times, it's not a Hail Mary that we're throwing and hoping that someone hears us. It's a conversation with the Holy Spirit who is in us and with us. It is so simple to have conversations with God. But if you are not intentional about this, the danger is that you wake up in 10 years and you're going through the motions. The danger is that you wake up in 10 years and you're tithing and you're serving, but that love that you once had, if God could speak to you out loud, he would say, just return to that love that you had for me on day one. Can you stand with me? As Renee leads us just for a few minutes here, take one of those three that I suggested. The Word of God, prayer, or worship. And this morning, drive a stake in the ground that says, on this day, October 30th of 2022, I will begin cultivating my relationship and my affection for God. This day, I choose to pursue loving God above all else. It is the greatest command, and this morning I respond. Can we do that as a church? Can you do that as an individual? Father, this morning I pray that foundations are laid, that repentance takes place in our hearts and we turn. We turn to you and we say, God, this morning we choose to pursue love. To love you, God, with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, with every fiber of our being, God. Even now, we invite your presence, and we just ask that you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. What I have discovered in my life is that if I get up at 6 a.m., I'm tired. If I get up at 10 a.m., I'm tired. But if I get up at 6 a.m., I'm tired. But if I get up at 5.30, there's no difference in how I feel. And what I'm saying is maybe you need to set your alarm clock a half hour earlier so that you can be intentional about spending time with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray uh, that you go with us. Thank you that, that you loved us first, God, that we love you because you loved us first. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us, God, to love you well, 
to love you with all of our hearts, our soul, our mind, and our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one other thing, church. Last time we did sermon bingo, I think four kids came up to me and they said, uh, we were just waiting for you to say, come on, church. And I would have had bingo. So come on, church. I'm hoping that helps somebody get bingo. But that's it. Anybody's going to say hallelujah? There it is. I told you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.